please turn now with me in your Bibles to uh, Job chapter 7. Our text this morning as we continue in our sermon series through Job, our text is uh, Job chapter 7. Hear God's word. Has not man a hard service on earth? Are not his days like the days of a hired hand, like a slave who longs for the shadow and like a hired hand who looks for his wages? So I am allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are apportioned to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night is long and I am full of tossing till the dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him any more. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him, visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. The Bible refers to death as an enemy. For the child of God, death is said to be the last enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. In the sense of it being the last enemy over which Christ gives us victory. A means of Christ's saving work, death has no sting for you, believer. Death for you has been transformed so that it is but the entrance into the glories of heaven, which means then that death is nothing to fear. But for those who die in their sins, death is a truly horrible enemy from which there is no escape. Death in its fullest manifestation is a separation from God and the experience of God's wrath for eternity in body and soul. It's the knowledge of these truths that provides the context for the spiritual struggle that some believers face. The struggle involves a lack of assurance of salvation. Talking about Christians who know the right things. They know Christ came to give us victory over death. They know he paid the penalty of sin on the cross and rose from the dead and has earned eternal life for all who trust him. They understand that sin separates us from God's fellowship and makes us worthy of his wrath. They understand that if a person physically dies and leaves this life before getting right with God through Christ, that his death is going to mean the eternal death of punishment in hell. 
They know these things, and they take these things seriously. And in fact, they often think about them. And what can happen is that they begin to look at all of life through the lens of their relationship with God, and they begin to make assumptions and judgments that are not accurate and leave them, therefore, struggling with assurance. They can't seem to ever come to a sense of peace with God. They want peace with God. They know that it can come only through Christ, but they wonder, what is my relationship with Christ? And the struggle arises because there are difficult things that happen and unhappy feelings that arise in the course of the struggles of daily life that make them question, what is my status with God? And this in turn leaves them to wonder what death will mean for them. And this is at the heart, you see, of what Job was facing. Job is a man that we are told in Scripture is righteous, which means he is right with God. He is in fellowship with God through faith in the coming Christ. He is a child of God. And thus at death we can be certain that he's going to be received into the glories of heaven. And we know these things because God's word tells us that Job is righteous, and yet Job is struggling with assurance. He wonders where he stands with God, and he's basing such thoughts on the experiences that he's going through. He wants to die, and yet is not sure exactly what death will mean for him ultimately. It would mean the end of his earthly suffering, but would it be the end of any hope of life with God? So should he want death or not? And this dilemma accounts for what seem like contradictions here in Job's words. And uh, even though he wonders where he stands with God, he still holds on to the hope that perhaps God will come to him with grace before he dies. So I've taken as a theme of this chapter, faith in the face of death. And um, we're going to be considering this text under this theme with with, uh, two points this time. First, a faith that is challenged. And a second, a faith that perseveres. So a faith that is challenged. Well, here in chapter 7, Job is expressing that he feels like he is under the wrath of God. And on the surface, according to how things appear, his life seems to indicate that he's not in fellowship with God. According to verse 8, Job knows that God is not ignoring him. God sees him, he knows that God's eye is upon him, and yet he's fading away into death. And he knows that he's soon going to be leaving this world. As he puts it, he's going to be gone from this world. And if he dies under the wrath of God, he will be gone in an eternal and ultimate sense, cut off forever from God and life with him. As we think of God's eyes being upon Job, as being upon us, the Bible talks about God's eyes being directed toward people for good or for judgment. For example, 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Those who trust in him, those who are in fellowship with him, can expect God to look upon them in love. And the result is him directing his power toward them in ways of blessing. Meanwhile, there are those who do evil. These are sinners who are not righteous in the sight of God by faith. They are those who are still in their sins. They do not have faith in God. They're not striving to obey God out of thankfulness for his grace. We are told the Lord's face is against them. Which means that when God's face turns toward them, the purpose is not to bless, but to curse and to punish. 
So we might ask, well, into which category does Job fall? While he has sought forgiveness for his sins from God, according to verse 21, he is convinced that he's not being treated like someone whose sins have been pardoned. He's being treated by God like an unbeliever under his curse. Job is convinced that God's eye is on him to destroy him, which is why in verse 19 he wants God to turn away from him, leave him alone. These are bold words, but that's how he feels. He feels he is cursed. He feels like God is against him. That that feeling really defines a lack of assurance of salvation. So what is life like when you feel like God is against you and won't leave you alone? Well, verses 1 through 6 provide a vivid description of Job's experience of what very much feels like God's disfavor toward him. He begins by drawing a portrait of his life under the sun. We are reminded of the book of Ecclesiastes here as, the, as chapter 7 opens, and uh, he's portraying his life under the sun, except there isn't much sun. Christopher Ash, in his commentary, says, this is Ecclesiastes on a rainy day. Job compares his life to that of people who are stuck in an endless cycle of hard, grueling labor. Job says life is like that of hard service. Hard service is the translation of a Hebrew word that refers to that hard and involuntary work, really, of people drafted into the military or drafted as slave laborers, like what Solomon did as he as he drafted people into this labor force to accomplish his building projects. That's hard service. Job's days are also described as being like those of a hired hand or a servant. These would have been poor domestics or agricultural workers who were poorly paid and and just to live needed every day to receive their wages at the end of the day. These were people who longed for the shadow. That's what Job here refers to. They, they longed for the shadow of the sun setting in the evening, which meant that they could finally rest from their labors and get paid. Job says he's like these, these individuals, these people in hard service. He's like the, the hired hand or the servant, except that there's no shadow and there's no wages. He's like the hired hand who longs for the relief that comes at the end of the day, but for him it never comes. He says, in his experience, there are months of emptiness and nights of misery. Verse 3. Imagine working for months on end as a laborer with no wages. You receive only emptiness. You work hard all day long for nothing. From your point of view, it would be purposeless. It would be in vain. And why would you even do it? And that is exactly the point. For Job, his suffering seems to have no point. We go through hard things if they have a purpose. We do the academic work, as rigorous as it may be, to get a degree. We put in the hours at work to get a paycheck. We go through the struggles of a surgery for the reward of greater health on the other side. We put in the hours of parenting in order to see our children doing well, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. The rewards, right? They make it worth it. But what if there is no reward? What if there's no purpose in it? That's how Job feels about his suffering. One of the blessings of even physically hard work under the sun is coming home at the end of the day and being exhausted. That's actually a blessing, being able to enjoy a good night's rest. And that sounded absolutely wonderful to Job who couldn't sleep. 
The nights were unbearably long as he tossed and he turned and longed for dawn to come, verse 4. According to verses 13 and 14, there must have been times that he was so desperately tired that he sensed that he was finally ready to fall asleep. And as he would lay down on his bed or couch, he looked forward to finally conking out and experiencing some relief from his agony. But what would happen? He would drift away into sleep only to be awakened by terrifying nightmares. Surely his physical condition explains in large part why he couldn't sleep and why his life seems to be only misery. Verse 5 describes this disgusting illness that undoubtedly involved constant pain. It says, My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens and breaks out afresh. So his skin is dirty. He has sores infested with maggots. His skin begins to scab over and, and to heal only to break out afresh with new infection. Some believe that Job had what we would call elephantiasis, which is a condition caused by larvae in a person's lymphatic system, which causes their limbs and, and other parts of their body to swell. It creates pain, chill, chills, fever, wounds, such as are described here. There's actually swelling that can take place in the throat, making it hard to breathe which some would say that's what Job's referring to in verse 15 when he says that he would choose strangling, strangling and death over the life that he currently has where his body has deteriorated to the point where he is pretty much just a pile of bones with skin over it. It's also possible, as most believe, that Job is suffering from a bacterial infection of leprosy and perhaps he actually had several conditions all piled one upon the other. That's certainly also a possibility. But as bad as his physical struggles were, at the heart of his struggles was this question of where he stands with God. All of this feels to Job very much like he's under the wrath of God. In fact, we have here in the miseries of Job a picture of what life without God might be like. Um, it's an existence marked by hardships piled one upon the other with no relief in sight. It's an existence that feels like punishment, and, and indeed hell is a place of eternal punishment away from the presence of God. And that's what, it, what Job is afraid is coming. A life that he describes there in verse, 17, uh, verse 7, where he will never again see good. A life where God's eyes are upon him as eyes of anger and judgment. And the result is that Job is cast away and he is gone, gone from the presence of God, gone, gone from a life where there is even the possibility of good. That is what life feels like for Job. That is the future as Job sees it that he's facing. And we're reminded by these horrors that Job experienced that indeed life without God is no life at all. It is the experience of death. And that's why we need faith, because faith is what unites us to Christ so that we can experience eternal life. For when Christ is received as Savior by faith, our sins are forgiven and we are able to enjoy fellowship with God. And through Christ, you and I are under God's blessings and his eyes are upon us in love. And as a loving Heavenly Father, he only gives us good things, sometimes difficult things, uncomfortable things. Uh, from our perspective, undesirable things, but things nevertheless that we need for our spiritual good. 
On the other hand, without faith in Christ and without fellowship with God, we would be in our sins. We would be under God's wrath. And if you die without Christ, you can only expect to experience an existence of unrelenting pain and torment. Your experience, if you die without faith in Christ, will be something like what Job experienced and, as, and what he describes here in these verses. In Mark 9, 48, hell is described as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. All that you experience in body and soul is unending misery and pain and loss. Experiencing separation from God, experiencing the curse of God, that is at the heart of the very definition of death. And Job's life was so hard that we don't blame him for wondering where he stands with God. It's only natural for him to think, God must be displeased with me. He must be punishing me for sin, some sin and terrible judgment. Have you ever had a similar experience where you believe that you're right with God and then you experience what feels like the wrath of God? And so you question where you stand with God. And what is especially perplexing to Job is that he believes he's done everything needed to be right with God. So let's consider what Job says about himself and about his relationship with God. Let us assess from what he says whether he is, in fact, a man of faith. And first we notice that Job rightly knows he is as nothing before God. There is a lot of humility that Job expresses in these verses, a humility that aligns with saving faith. In verse 7, he asks God to remember that his life is a breath. He goes on to describe how when we die and our bodies go into the grave, what Job calls in verse 9 going down to Sheol, he recognizes there is no return. He knows that we cannot defeat death. We cannot bring ourselves back to life on earth. Verses 11 through 21, there's an ongoing theme of questioning why God is so concerned about him. In verse 12, he asks, am I the sea or a sea monster that you set a guard over me? The sea and the huge animals of the sea are outside of our control, but they are certainly under God's control. He's the one who makes sure that the seas keep to their boundaries and do not overrun the land. He's the one who controls the storms at sea. He is the one who can control and restrain and defeat even the largest and fiercest creatures of the sea. And Job is essentially saying it's nothing for God to control me and to determine my life. I'm not even close to being something like the sea or like a sea monster. And of course, God controls those. Plus, I'm no threat. It's like God's hand is coming down heavy on me like I'm some dangerous thing, like I'm, I'm some great source of evil that needs restraint when actually I'm nothing. Job wonders why God seems to be so involved with him which is especially the point of verses 17 and 18. What is man that you make so much of him, that you set your heart on him, visit him every morning, and test him every moment? Perhaps you've noticed that these words sound very much like Psalm 8, though Job's perspective is the opposite. In Psalm 8, the psalmist is rejoicing in how God has given him a place of exaltation in creation, and the psalmist is amazed that God in his holiness would be mindful of man and crown him with glory and honor as the highest of the earthly creatures and give him dominion over the works of God. 
and does not deserve such treatment, and this is cause for praise and thanksgiving to be offered to God. And then we come to these words of Job. He also wonders why God pays attention to man. But for Job, the attention that he is talking about is God's coming against him in judgment. Lord, why are you paying attention to me, concerning yourself with me? How much of a threat am I that you feel the need to come against me and test me with afflictions? Lord, I'm really not that important. I'm not worthy of your attention. Of course, Job doesn't want God's attention if it's going to mean the attention of judgment. And he continues along the same lines by pointing out in verse 20 that it seems as if God is overreacting to his sin, coming against him like he's an enemy that has to be dealt with and punished severely. And the ESV has Job saying, if I sin, uh, verse 20, if I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? And the ESV, by stating it that way, if I sin, makes it sound like Job is uncertain whether he sins or not, or will sin or not, but actually Job is admitting his sin. When I sin would be a better translation. Job's point is not to minimize the reality of his sin or the seriousness of his sin, but rather to state that it doesn't seem like his sin is capable of hurting God to the degree that God has to come against him in such intensity. Again, Job is saying, I'm really not that significant, God. Over against you, who am I? And what I do, it's nothing. Like It's like nothing in its ability to affect you. So why do you come against me like I'm an enemy, like I matter? There's humility here that we do well to emulate. We often think too highly of ourselves. We think that from time to time that God even needs us or that we can thwart his plans. We, we tend to imagine we have much more power and influence than we really have. We ought to take to heart what Job says here about how insignificant we are. What gives us significance is simply the attention that God gives us. And so we can see that Job is a man of humility, which aligns with true faith. It's also clear that he doesn't believe he deserves salvation There's nothing here of Job claiming a righteousness of his own, nothing of him saying that he's done good works. He's not saying, God, how dare you punish me? He simply doesn't understand how this could be happening when, in fact, he has repented of his sin. Verse 21, I believe, is key here in this chapter. He says, why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? So he's admitting that he has rebelled against God. That's what transgression is. It's disobedience done in a spirit of rebellion. Iniquity, which Job admits to doing, is sin that deserves punishment. It's sin that flows out of a crooked nature. So Job is confessing he is a sinner, a sinner by nature, a sinner who has rebelled against God. And what he can't wrap his mind around is that God will not pardon and take away his sin. God won't forgive him. And he by faith knows that God is a forgiving God. And scripture tells us that Job is righteous, so we know he is a man of true repentance. He has come to God asking for pardon. He has come to God asking that his sins be taken away, that he not be held accountable for them, that he not have to suffer punishment for his sins. As a righteous man, he has by faith looked to the Messiah to provide the atoning sacrifice that makes this forgiveness possible. And in Job's mind, based on his experiencing, what is happening to him can't be anything but punishment. 
What has he done to deserve such harsh judgment, especially when he has been repenting of his sin? And so Job is claiming the good news of the covenant that God has promised. But with what... With, But with what is happening in his life, he can't help but think that God is against him and against him in a way that is not compatible with forgiveness, forgiveness promised to the children of God. On some level, Job really doesn't know what to think, which is probably what accounts for him speaking in ways that sound contradictory. Notice how on the one hand, his days and especially his nights seem to linger on forever. As a result, he longs for death. He wants his life to end. Verses 15 and 16, he says, So I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. On the other hand, in verse 6, he says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. So he says that his days are long, and yet he says that they go by swiftly. Well, there's no actual contradiction in what Job says, as you probably realize if you've experienced anything at all similar to what Job is going through. Right when you're suffering, right in the moment, it seems like the days of suffering linger and they go on forever. And yet when trials go on day after day, each day seems the same. After a while, they all run together and the perspective of time is that it is just racing by. I think in some cases it also happens that there's a kind of protective mechanism that takes place where we block out what is happening. But meanwhile, the time is going by, and so we lose perspective on time. But there's actually a more significant dilemma going on than over how long the days feel. This is, there, there's also Job's desire to die. There's Job's desire to live long enough to get his assurance of salvation back which is the theme of verses 7 through 10. He calls on God to remember that his life is a breath. So he's saying something like, Remember, O Lord, my life is short. I'm just a breath. My earthly life is like nothing compared to eternity. And as things are right now, Lord, it seems like I'm separated from you. It appears your eye is on me to punish me. And if I die like this, I have no hope of knowing anything good ever again in life. I will never see you again. I shall be gone forever from your presence. You see, Job rightly understood that to die separated from God by sin is to be shut off forever from his presence. Like a true believer, he knew that life is knowing God, that life beyond the grave with God is only possible if there's reconciliation with God, only possible if God is not holding our sins against us. Death is a one-way door. Once it is entered, there is no going back. There are no second chances. And Job is unsure of what God is going to do with him. So what does he do? Well, he clings to the hope that only faith can give. As we close this morning, I would direct your attention to verse 21, especially to the last part that brings chapter 7 to a close. Job says, Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. Job knows the gospel of pardon from sin. He knows that death brings an end to the possibility of pardon if it has not already taken place. He also knows that God is a God of grace and love. And in his heart of hearts, he lays hold of the hope that God will seek him. 
Isn't that an amazing concept? Think of that, ponder that, that God would seek us, that God would set his love on us and seek our good, that he would seek to restore fellowship with us. That's at the very heart of what salvation is. And Job understands this. And so his hope is that God will seek him before he dies. He feels as though there's not much of him left. His life is hanging by a thread. The biblical teaching that man is a breath is very real to Job. If God will only seek us before we die, if only he will respond to us in love and forgive our sins before we die, then we will be safe. In the end, our only hope for assurance is that God will seek us, that he will look upon us with eyes of love, grace, mercy, and blessing. You know what? You can be sure that if you have repented of your sins and are trusting in Christ for the righteousness needed for fellowship with God, then you are indeed right with God. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter that what you are experiencing seems so much like God is against you. God has spoken truth in the gospel. He has promised to forgive the sins of those who repent. And so if we could speak to Job, we would say, persevere in your faith, Job. Persevere in your faith, Christian. Look to God. Believe his promises. Believe what he tells you. And place yourself in his sovereign hands to do with you as he wills. And know that if his desire is to seek you as one of his elect and to save you from eternal death, it will not be too late. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the gospel. We thank you that there is forgiveness of our sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, at times, because of what we are experiencing, uh, we can wonder where we stand. But Father, we pray that we would go back to the basics, that we would go back to the fact that you are the one who must seek us, and you are the one who has promised to forgive us of our sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, um, we pray that each one of us may know ourselves to be those who repent, and therefore those who know that they are safe with you. Father, if there are any who this morning who do not know where they stand with you, those who have not repented of their sins, may they recognize that if they die without having repented, that they will indeed be gone from anything good of this life, gone from your presence. But Father, we thank you that there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that by your grace, you have sought sinners um, even from the very beginning of the fall, and you have delivered us from death. We pray these things with thankfulness in our hearts. Amen.